0: would help us to know, receive, and share more of your love in the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. A, f- a few minutes back when I went off to college, um, I had a bunch of people give me advice about going off to college. And one of the bits of advice I got from many places in many, in many different ways was you'll get out of it whatever you put into it. You'll get out of it whatever you put into it. I kept hearing that with whatever organization I joined or college itself and all this. And I want to just ask a curious question for a moment. I wonder if the spiritual life might be that way as well. You get out of it what you put into it. I want to talk about that a little bit today. And I was thinking about it. I had a friend of mine a number of years ago who came to me and said that he was feeling really distant from God. And I asked him to do something that spiritual directors will do sometimes, like they will have you do a graph where you will put sort of on the, uh, the vertical axis how close you feel to God, and the horizontal axis will be time. And so they'll track this pattern of where you were in your spiritual life, and then they have you go back and write different things that you were doing at the time. What were your practices? What was going on in life? Like all the different things below that. And he did this and he was like, Whoa, well the moment I felt so close to God, he was living in a Christian community. He was doing morning and evening prayer every day. He was reading scripture, he was doing all these Bible studies. And I was like, I didn't even have to say anything to him. All I had to do was like just look at it like that and go, What do you think? You know, like so I wonder this principle. At least existentially, do we get out of our spiritual lives what we put in? I wanna I wanna circle on that a little bit today and have us think about that in a number of of different ways and a number of different um, dimensions. So hold that thought for a minute, and then think about this for a second. About just stop for a second and think about all the things that Jesus talks about with respect to the spiritual life and our experiences of it. Sort of the existential side of living out the spirituality and the life that Jesus would talk about. He has many amazing, powerful, meaningful things that he promises about the spiritual life. He talks about in John 10:10 10, 10 about receiving the fullness of life, the the abundant life. He talks about in John 6 about r- getting this bread that will last that will last. He talks about drink the woman at the well. He t- he talks to her about drinking from this place where you're not going to thirst anymore. He sa- Jesus said to her everyone who drinks of this water at the well will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water I will give will never be thirsty. The water I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. That's just one one of the promises. And he talks in Matthew 11 about receiving deep rest in God. And he talks again in John 6 about being accepted. And in John 15 about becoming his friends. And he talks also in John 15 about finding joy and peace. And in Mark 10 that we read today, he talks about whatever kind of hardships and sacrifices you make are going to get blessed hundredfold. Later he's going to talk about the people being invited sort of in a banquet context. It's going to be this big joy, this big celebration. He has, he goes on and on there we just keep going about all these profoundly meaningful deep things that he invites us into in a spiritual life and it's both the things that are to come in, in the next age and the things that are right now. The things that are being experienced now and as we think about these how we started and and these promises and these things he says what do we need to receive those things what does he ask and i want to suggest that there there are really only like two things that he really asks for when you get down to it one is just to receive it's just a gift receive and the other is to put god first and when you get to this thing you know about this this idea that we're just to receive it, you know. I want to do a hard stop in the sermon for a second, just to say, all the stuff I'm going to say, like I started out talking about, it, you get, you, maybe you get back some of what you you give in this life, in our spiritual life. I don't mean for a minute to suggest that it's what you you earn or what you do. And for those who are the theological wonks, I'm not talking plagiarism or anything that kind of stuff. It's all grace. It's all you don't do it it's a gift, 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 gift. It's what God gives. And all you got to do is open the present. That's it. To get it full on. So we don't have to worry. Am I good enough? Am I worried? None of that. It's just open the gift and, and receive it. But I do also believe along with that, that God doesn't leave you in that place. Like, he will not just say, open the gift and go on with your life. That, that doesn't happen. Because if you really open the gift and get what's there, God's Spirit will begin to engage you, and if you're looking at what's happened, you will begin to say, what am I to do? And He will quickly lead you to, to this place, like, really fast of saying, I, 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 actually, I actually, I want everything. I'm not, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I want you to put me first in life. Top priority. And you think about this in so many different ways that Jesus speaks, but you know, I think one of the things we've done in in you know in the Christian faith is we we want we badly love everybody and we badly want everybody here partaking fully and at times we water stuff down like yeah yeah you want to come to church every few years come on you know like you're 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 all in we'll make episcopal church make you a full member in good standing I think maybe maybe it's once a year I'm sorry not every 3 years but once a year. But Jesus is I mean let me apologize for the church that's not what Jesus says. Jesus wants us to be all in and put him first and you know whenever the lawyer runs up to him and says you know what's the greatest law how do you, and Jesus summarizes it and says love God with everything your heart your mind and your soul and your neighbors yourself that goes right with it because if you love like God does if you want to have God's love deep in you you're gonna try to have a heart like God's and God's heart immediately goes out to the people so those those just go together but again, Jesus, he says this again and again. Like he doesn't hide any of this. He'll talk in Luke nine about, come and follow me, take up your cross. Like mayb- maybe we've never really thought about that image. Like he, that's full, how. How do you get more full on than that? Put on your cross. Like would it help us if he said, put on your electric chair, or, you know, or whatever. Like go all in. Like you're going to die in this deal to yourself, to come to come in fully and. He's like I say, he says it in many, many different ways and different contexts. I think when you read that passage, I want to read it for a minute because there's one piece in there I want to focus on in Luke 9. He says, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their crosses daily and follow me. And I think one of the big pieces of that is the word daily. We may have a mountaintop experience, we may have a moment where we say you know, wow, you're amazing, you're everything, but to do it daily. And it's a struggle. It's a struggle for even for me, for clergy, for different people. Everybody's got their day. You know, C.S. Lewis used to talk about the wild animals running at you in the morning and how before you, as you your feet hit the ground, you have to start by getting grounded and what you're going to do. It's getting your priorities right because the world obviously wants different priorities for us. And that's part of what we're going to be talking about today. But it's a daily thing, and we all mess up at it. So don't think I'm up here preaching from some high podium. I'm not. We all struggle with this at ways. But but Jesus, ne- for his credit, he never hides this. This is not a bait and switch. The church may have done that, but he- Jesus doesn't. I mean, listen to some of what he says in Luke 9, if we keep reading. He says, these are people coming up to him. To another, he said, follow me. And this guy says, Lord, f- first let me go and bury my father. And I... Hopefully, Jesus is doing a little hyperbole here, I will say. But he says, but Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, oh, I'll follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I mean, I I definitely hope that that is uh, a bunch of hyperbole that's put in there. But I wonder as we pause there, at those moments when we have felt distant from God, or when we felt like we're not connecting, or whatever else, is it because we've, we've never come close, to, or we're at a place, a chapter in life where we're not putting Him first? And this is not the theological bit, because it's all grace. it's a gift. Open it. I think grace is going to surprise us how far it goes. But existentially, as we live out our spiritual lives here, what are we doing? Are we, are we leaning into this? Are we, are we entering into that struggle of asking God to help us surrender as part of our prayers? Help me surrender more fully. I think we see that today in a pointed way in our gospel lesson. We get this guy who I think the world would say has everything. He is, I mean, it doesn't say this. I always imagine it. He gets labeled in Bibles as the rich young ruler. I think it, I, I have this hunch that he, maybe he's handsome too. It's the rich, handsome young ruler. He's got it all going on, and he, he's eager to run up to Jesus. You get that he, it, it says he energetically, he's running up to Jesus, and I think at this point we're going to learn before the passage is over that he's wealthy, he's got what the world says is the big deal, he's, got, he's respectable, we know that because he's kept all these commandments. Jesus is going to ask him about that in a minute. He's got all this stuff going on, and I think, I think he's eager to run to Jesus because he wants to hear Jesus pat him on the back and say, well done, you got this. You're doing great. And he, so he runs up and says to him, what do we need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus knows where this is going. And so he quotes to him a bunch of the commandments. He doesn't do any of the, notice this, he doesn't do all the commandments dealing with our relationship with God. He does all the commandments related to how we deal with each other. About, you know, he, he picks up at like commandment six and goes on from there and picks up some of those. And this guy is quick to say, yeah, yeah, well, I've done all those since I was a kid. I got this. And then we come to one of the passages. Don't ask me why. I, I, this is one of my absolute favorite passages in the Bible. Don't ask me why. Verse 21, but where it says that Jesus looked at him with love. Like Jesus is about to tell him something hard. And Mark wants us to know that when Jesus is looking at him, he's looking at him with love. And I wonder how deep that is. Like Jesus is loving him and is giving out a uh, a sense in his eyes that he loves him and he's giving the appeal of love. I wonder if he's also grieving in love. How, much, how deep is that phrase where it says Jesus looked at him and loved him? And then Jesus goes on and says, yeah, but you lack one thing. And and let's just pause. Wealthy church. This is He didn't say this for everybody. He says it for this guy. He says, you need to go sell everything you have. And give it to the poor and then come follow me. Because Jesus can see right into his soul as he does all of ours. And he can see how wrapped up this guy is on his own success, his own abilities, his own wealth. This guy has got it wrapped up tight like this. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's not gonna work for following like getting into this. So Jesus gives him something I don't think he says to everybody else. He tells this guy, go sell it all and then come back and follow me. And we get at this point, that the guy goes away sad, down, depressed, because he had many possessions. And that's where he leaves this, the picture. And I have a private fantasy. I've shared this before, but the Scripture doesn't say anything more about this guy. But I always have this fantasy that the guy went off and prayed and spent a couple of days reflecting and, came and e- either sold it all or sold a bunch of it and came back to Jesus and said, okay, I've heard you. And Jesus sees him on the inside and they go on. But we don't get that in Scripture. That's me wanting to have a happy ending on that deal. But but this idea that when we think about it, um, Jesus wants us to be in sync with him. He wants our spiritual pores to be open to receive. He wants our souls to be available to hear his voice, to hear his nudge, to, to, to be in sync with him and walk with him that way. And when we're holding on to all this stuff and making other things God's, and priori- the top priorities and all this other stuff, we're never going to get to that place. And I think Jesus really wants to drive this home to others and certainly to his inner 12 who are going to go and spread and be the church. And so he tells them this saying, which is a hard saying, but it, it's a, like an expression they used at the time. It's not that he just invented this at the moment, but he said it's going to be as hard for the people who are wealthy to go into the kingdom of God as it is for a camel camel to go through the eye of the needle, and I'm told that sometimes people try to make this a little easier. Okay, don't panic, people. This is one of the gates going to Jerusalem. I'm told that gate didn't get named until medieval times, but um, so it really probably means it's impossible. It's a it's a needle, and you're talking about a camel. and And the disciples at this point, if you don't get it, are they're just like really on their heads at this moment because. Both within Judaism and within the pagan community at the time, if you were wealthy, it meant God was blessing you. It's kind of like later in times when people would do the duels and the fights, and like whoever won, God was clearly on their side. That's the way they saw it. If you were wealthy and you were winning, it's because God was on your side. And Jesus just turns that right upside down. Like it's going to be hard for people who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. That's what he says. And, you know, it's a hard saying. (laughs) I'll give my moment of comic relief. I've told the story before. I did my undergrad at Baylor, and uh, Baylor had this satirical group that would put out this funny newspaper. It was a monthly, published sporadically. That's what they said. Um, but whenever they would publish it, they would put they would have these blocked out sections that had holy laws. It's you know it's a Baptist school, so they had these holy laws. And I remember holy law number one twelve. Holy law number one twelve said, upon becoming filthy rich have needle made big enough for a camel to go through. <laughs> but Jesus gives us some, some hard sayings for us to think about in wealthy North America, in a wealthy denomination, in a wealthy church. And I would put it in perspective to you this way. There are something like around 500 passages in the Bible that talk about faith. There are something like 500 passages in the Bible that talk about prayer there are more than 2,000 passages that talk about money and possessions. And I think for us, it's a reminder of ju- just, that, not that these things are, are evil in themselves, but they're just dangerous, dangerous to our spiritual lives. And I want to give you just a couple other voices other than mine speaking on this. The biblical commentator, William Barclay, um, who's a professor at Glasgow, said this. He said, the man who trusts in himself and in his possessions can never be saved. The man who trusts in the saving power and redeeming love of God can enter freely into salvation. That's the thought that Jesus stated. That's, what he, that's how he summarizes this passage. St. Augustine, the great saint from the 4th and 5th centuries, he's writing and talking about this passage we just read. This is what he says about it, and he kind of makes it into a prayer. He says, Such, O my soul, are the miseries that attend on, the, on riches. They are gained with toil and kept with fear. They are enjoyed with danger and lost with grief. It's hard to be saved if we have them and impossible if we love them. And scarcely can we have them, but we shall love them inordinately. Teach us, O Lord, this difficult lesson to manage conscientiously the goods we possess and not covetlessly desire more than you give to us. It's hard stuff. And Jesus, along with that in this passage today, wants to say, whatever we give up or whatever we set aside, we'll leave gonna be, we're gonna be blessed in it a hundredfold. Part of what he says. Like, and, it's, and when he says blessing, we're not talking about prosperity doctrine stuff. Y'all know that's a heresy, right? That's a heresy in the church. Um, that's a North American thing. Um, he's talking about supernatural involvement in your life. He's talking about understanding and seeing God more. He's talking about that existential bit of having a deeper spiritual life and seeing God at work in different kinds of ways and what that leads to. I think about, I know a a guy in the Dallas area who talks about not only giving to the church, but many years ago, like more than 20 years ago, he made it his practice to do this. And and I've never done this. I, I think it'd be fascinating to try it. But he said he started carrying a, at every time he would have like a couple hundred dollar bills in his pocket. And whenever he was out and about, all the time he'd be asking God, lead and direct me who I should give them to and what I should say. And he's got 20 years of telling all these stories about people where God would tell him, go go, give it to this person. And he would go give this person $100 and they'd say, I've been praying all week, didn't know how, th- how I was gonna make it, or whatever it is. And just, but I wonder, I read that, I can't relate to it exactly, but I wonder... If we could be that open to God's leading and His Spirit and His guidance around these things and being ready to hold, those people that guy gives money to are blessed, that guy's blessed back. Like, he's blessed. And I'll say, I'll say more on that in a minute. All of these conversations lead us to the final stretch of this sermon, which is to talk about our finances. Like, how are we going to do these things? They're so dangerous. What do we do with them? I think it's the reason why God leads us to a place uh, I think the lawyers in the room. I'll say a safe harbor, but it's this idea that we're gonna we're gonna tithe. We're gonna give 10%. We're gonna tithe. We're gonna we're gonna give to God in this kind of way, as a way of like maybe we should be doing a reverse tithe in some places in the world. I know one pastor who does that, but the idea that w- that what should we give? Scripture would say 10%, and the thing that challenges me is not just that amount. And I'll say more on that in a second, but that when you read Scripture and if you really want to go deep, Scripture talks about the tithe being the first bit, first fruits, first animal, first whatever. And I, you know, I know we're all practical. Lots of us who run our own businesses want to wait till December to see how the year finishes out before we give. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about living in faith and saying, I think this is what it is. I'm going to give 10 percent on this. You know, like it's it's, if you don't you're not going to get out of this challenge. If you're doing this right, there's always going to be a challenge in this and a demand to trust in some way. It's going to happen that way. And I think we end up giving because of that. We end up giving from discipleship. We end up giving from gratitude. We end up giving from all these different places. And I think if we lean into it, we give because it's fun. You, if you do this well enough and long enough, you'll see people blessed through it. Thinking about this passage today, I came across recently a story from one of the major news um, channels that was talking about an Uber driver. And I just want to read part of this story, and I'm going to give you all one more quote, and we'll close. This is um, from one of the hit major news channels. They're talking about this uh, Uber driver whose name was LaTanya, and um, she was driving and she was started a conversation, Latanya Young. She's she's a hairstylist. She was attending classes um, at the university, and she had all these financial problems where she couldn't attend. She said she was telling the guy she had attended all these semesters and now she couldn't attend because she couldn't pay her tuition because every time she got ready to pay, her children had something come up financially and whatever. And she was telling about it. The guy she was driving was a guy named Kevin Esh. And they they hit it off talking and anyway she gets a phone call. A few days later from the university saying you you can enroll now, and she went on to learn that this passenger had had called up the university and paid, her semester um, tuition. It's like a thousand dollars, and um, he goes on to talk about how powerful this was for him, and he, he this is part of what I want to read. He says. Um there was something about LaTanya, he says, that resonates with me. We developed an incredible friendship, and now I'm incredib- incredibly proud of what she's done. I could have bought new clothes or I could have helped somebody out. And What has come back to me has come back a hundredfold, and I would a thousand times over do it again. He says, he, goes on, he went on to eventually get to watch her graduate from the university. I think there's so many blessings that we walk by As we hold on to our money. There are so many ways that you give to the church, you'll see people get blessed through the church. I'm gonna say something Carolyn might not want me to say, who's in charge of our stewardship. Give to the church, hold some on this year, just some, and give it yourself anonymously to somebody and see what that does for the adventure of giving, of how we do this. The final thing I wanna say, I know I've gone longer than I should have today. I want to end you with this, though. This maybe will help those of you who are like, oh, my gosh. This is Clement of Alexandria, who died in the year 215. I want you to leave. I'm, I'm preached pretty hard on some of our possessions because they're so dangerous. But I don't want you to think they're evil and that they are the problem in themselves. And he wrote about this in 215. So I'm going to leave you with this quote. He says, The Savior by no means has excluded the rich on account of wealth itself. And the possession of property nor fenced off salvation against them If they're able and willing to submit their life to God's commandments and prefer them to the transitory things, let them look to the Lord with a steady eye as those who look towards the slightest nod of a good helmsman. What he wishes, what he orders, what he indicates, what signal he gives his mariners, where and when he directs the ship's course. If one is able in the midst of wealth to turn from its mystique, to entertain moderate desires, to exercise self-control, to seek God's alone and to breathe God and walk with God, such as man submits to the commandments, being free, unsubdued, free of disease, unwounded by wealth. But if not, sooner shall a camel enter through a needle's eye than such a rich man reach the kingdom of God. These are hard things. These are hard for me, and I fail miserably at times. But I know this, the more we give, the more we get. If we can let, if we can put God first, we'll experience a new level of energy in our spiritual lives that we've not known. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks that you love us and you never, ever, ever leave us or give up on us. And you call us to live in, a, in a abundance by putting you first. Give us grace and strength to do that in all we do. We pray this in Jesus' name.